year or two of the church, it was a snowy Sunday, something like this. There was actually even more snow. And I was making my way to the church. So I was driving down Mass Ave, and I was driving down the road. I noticed up ahead of me, there was a person walking in the street. So I kind of muttered to myself as I drove, what's he doing? Why is he walking down the street? As I got closer, though, I realized I know that person. As I got closer, that person goes to this church. So I pulled up next to him and said to Ernie, Ernie, what are you doing? Get in the car. Ernie was older, he had a cane, and he'd been making his way down the street. And I said, Ernie, what are you doing walking in the street? He's like, well, I'm going to go to church. To the sidewalks have not been shoveled, so I'm just going to walk down the street to church. Ernie was an older gentleman who was well down the road of years by the time I got to know him 20 years ago. But Ernie, at a young age, had been a missionary, international missionary. He and his wife had served in multiple places around the world. Had a significant ministry, but at one point he contracted a disease that should have killed him and nearly did. After the disease, Ernie's body and his mind was never the same. So they had to move back to Cambridge. And so for the next several decades, they lived in the city, and Ernie was a faithful part of this church. So for 10 years, I knew him until he died, and he loved me as his pastor and loved this church. But Ernie suffered greatly across decades with a profoundly broken body, a mind that was forever changed. So in situations like that, we are left wondering, well, how are we to think about human suffering? We also are left to think about What do we do as someone, their health deteriorates? Is there a place for something that we refer to as euthanasia? Because some would have said, as Ernie's years passed on, would not that be a perhaps better option for Ernie in those last years? And in these and numerous other areas in our society, there is chaos, controversy confusion. And so we wonder, what does it look like to try to think wisely and well about these bodies that we have and so much that impacts them? And so these next five weeks, we're going to do a a brief five-week series seeking to to discern God's wisdom and in light of the gospel, how we think about some aspects, certainly not all, of our bodies. So we're calling this series simply Embodied, and we'll look at this over the next five weeks. So so first, this week, we'll look at created bodies. Second week, we'll look at worshiping bodies. The third week, gendered bodies. The fourth week, littlest bodies. And the last week, dying bodies. After this series, then, Lord willing, we'll return to our series in 1 Samuel. My goal is not to be controversial nor to be political, It's not to make all of you mad, although at some point I assume across those weeks I'll make all of us mad in some way or another. Let's try to provide some help for us 
from God's word. To consider how does a biblical worldview help us to think? In light of that, how are we to live? How are we to parent? What does it look like today to love our neighbors? And across this series, I invite your feedback and your questions, whether it's offensive to you or something that's just confusing, I would welcome the chance to speak with you about that. So if you have a Bible with me this morning as we begin, turn with me to the book of Genesis, to Genesis chapter 1. You'll find that the Bible's near you on page 1. So I invite you to open up a copy of the Bible, open up a Bible app so you can see the text in front of you this morning. If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers. So we'll be in chapter 1. The smaller numbers, the verse number, will begin in verse 26. And we'll continue through chapter 2, verse 7. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we as a church would love to give you one today as a gift. At the back of the room, there's a table. There's a sign that says free Bibles. Please just grab one of those Bibles in those stacks and take it with you as our gift to you this morning. Now, Genesis 1 begins with this beautiful, sweeping, poetic picture of a glorious God who creates everything that exists. The sun, the stars, this planet, animals, plants, and then we come to our text, chapter 1, verse 26. Look down, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. This morning, across our sermon, I hope you'll see this emphasis. You were created by God as an embodied person to live wisely and hopefully in this world. You were created by God as an embodied person to live wisely and hopefully in this world. This morning, we'll look at four different aspects. So first, we'll see created bodies. 
And second, we'll see broken bodies. Third, we'll see sacrificed body. And then fourth, restored bodies. So first we see created bodies. Now there's so much in our passage that we could look at this morning. Much that is clear. There's also much that remains a mystery to us and that will always be a mystery this side of heaven for us. And in our text, we see a God who creates. We see in verse 26, a a great sovereign creating God. And here we see the first hint of our triune God, as the passage says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So there is this deliberation as our God plans to create human beings and to create them in his image and likeness to carry out certain responsibilities that he would give for them in the world. And the Bible's making clear from its very first page that there is a powerful, sovereign, creating God. And that humans, all humans, are created beings. Now from this holds a number of implications. Since he is the sovereign creator, this is his design and not ours. And since he is our sovereign creator, he has authority over his creation over all of his creation. So we are not self-created, but we are a created people. And we were all created by our good, powerful, sovereign, grace-filled God. And we see that the triune God created humans in his image. All the animals were created by God, but only humans were created in the image of God. It's a doctrine we sometimes refer to as the imago Dei, that humans were created in the image of God. Now, the word for image, also the word for likeness, refer to something that is similar to but not identical to the thing that it represents. So to be created in the image, the likeness of God, means that in some way or some ways, humans are similar to God. And in some way or ways, humans represent God in this world. So because of this, we are different from all the animals. We are different from the angels. Now, what is included in this concept of the image or likeness of God is is an exhaustive topic to consider. So this is not at all an exhaustive list, but here's some of what it means to be created in the image of God. It means that we are morally accountable beings. That we have an inner conscience. That we have some measure of intelligence, the ability to reason, learn. Think logically. We have a a will, the ability to create, the potential to have deep interpersonal relationships, the capacity to know and relate to this great sovereign creating God. And as God created humans in his image, we see that he created them, we're told, male and female, verse 27. So in creating humans in his image, it includes this qualification of his design, that the bearers of his image are either male or female in this original creation. So God did not create genderless humans, but instead he intentionally created them as male and female. And we'll think more about this particular aspect in two weeks. And we see in verse 28, we're told that these image bearers God created, he told them to reproduce, to, to multiply, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they were given this responsibility to be stewards, to cultivate all of God's world 
that he had entrusted to them. Now, friends, the fact that all humans are created in the image of God means that every person has dignity, worth, and significance. Female and male, poor and rich, educated and uneducated, of every ethnicity, healthy and unhealthy, young and very old, born and unborn, all have dignity and value. So friend, whether you've ever been told this or not in your life, you were created in the image of God. You have value. Dignity, significance, based on the simple fact God created you. This is a tremendously important biblical truth that has implications for all of our lives. Then in Genesis 2, we're given a picture of this creating work of God, but from a different angle. And we see in verse 7, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. So God first formed the physical body of the first man, Adam, and then the Lord breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So the Lord created the physical body, but this was not yet a person. But then he breathed into them, giving him soul and spirit, therefore giving him life. So we see God's design for a person, for people, is that we would be bearers of his image and that we would do so with real physical bodies. All are image bearers, and all bear that image as those who are embodied. We have bodies. We might say, okay, but th this was the original pair, but, but what about since then? Is God still creating, or did he only create them and, and doesn't create since then? Well, Psalm 139 that we'll look at in a few weeks there, the psalmist David describes beautifully and poetically God's ongoing creation. So this is long after Adam and Eve. David is saying that the Lord fearfully and wonderfully made David. But not just David, but, but all. And in so doing, David was not saying that his own body was perfect. It wasn't perfect. It was flawed and, and marred by this world, as we'll see in a moment. But the creator God who made Adam and Eve is the same one who personally, specifically created David. And the same God who personally, specifically creates every single person. Therefore, no person who you will ever meet in this world is an accident. No person. People may have said that of you. Perhaps that's what your family told you. Friends, no one is an accident. All have value, dignity. All, every person created by the faithful creating God. So we speak of humans in a number of ways, but one of those ways we speak of humans as being embodied. Author Greg Allison says it this way, Simply put, embodiment is the condition of being a body or having a body. The body is one of two aspects of human nature. The other, often called soul or spirit, being the immaterial aspect. So we human beings are complex people, consisting of both a material and an immaterial aspect. Scripture assumes from beginning to end that human existence is 
properly an embodied existence. Human beings as divine image bearers are embodied beings by divine design. So God intentionally gave us these bodies. And though we may not think about it in that way, every day, all the time, we're living about living out this embodied existence. That's what has been your experience this morning. So somehow or another, you made your way here today. You put on some boots, you went outside, and you trudged your way physically to this place. You got in a bus, or you got in a car and drove here. And you've come into this room, and and all of you in the room are are seated. So you physically, you're you're seated in a seat. All of you are, are looking at me. Some eyes open, some eyes closed, but you all are looking towards me. You're all listening. You're you're hearing something that's being said. Internally, you're in some way processing what you're hearing. Some of you may be taking a note, but in any other ways, you're engaging your physical body in this moment. Sam Alberry has written a very helpful book called What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. And he says this, the Bible sees our body as a good, if imperfect, creation of God. It is a gift. And our body is not an accessory to who we are, it is part of who we are. We can't properly understand who we are apart from our body. Your body is not other than you. It is not just a receptacle for you, it is you. In the Bible, it is not just that you have a body, you are a body. Let me read that again. Your body is not other than you. It is not a receptacle for you. It is you. In the Bible, it's not just that you have a body, you are a body. And we see this integration in the scriptures. So for instance, the psalmist in Psalm 63.1 says this, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So the psalmist says that his soul the immaterial part, thirsts, his flesh and body faints. He's using these interchangeably. Understand this to be this one unity. This is who I am. The Apostle Paul uses you and your body interchangeably in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Here's what he says. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so... Glorify God in your body. So for the Apostle Paul to speak of your body, to speak of you, it's the same thing. There's no distinction between the two. So each and every person is a unique creation of God designed by him to live as an embodied person as we bear his image in the world. So we see created bodies. But then second, we see broken bodies. The story, of course, does not end in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 3, we see that God placed Adam and Eve in a garden. And he gave to them everything in the garden except for this one tree that they were not to eat of. But Satan came and tempted them to, to choose not to trust God's wisdom and his word. To reject God's authority and, and to, in pride, take something that God had prohibited them from. Adam and Eve did. They willfully rebelled against God. They sinned against God. And because of their sin, death entered the world. Now, death was not immediate for Adam and Eve, but because of their sin, death became inevitable for Adam and Eve. 
and for all humans since then. Because of sin, death has come. And because of their sin, consequences resulted for them and for all humans after them. We refer often to their rebellion as the fall and to the results of this rebellion often as just generally as the curse. As a result of this, all humans are now by our very nature separated from God. With no way of reconciling ourselves with God, we need a Savior to come and do this reconciling work for us. And the fall and its consequences impact every area of life in this world. And that includes our bodies. Now we might wonder, with the devastating effects of the fall, has the fall caused it so that no longer humans are made in the image of God? Has that ceased to be the fact that all are created in the image of God since the fall? Well, the scriptures are clear that, no, the image continues to be present in all who are created. We see that all the way back in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, we see that. We see the apostle James in James chapter 1, or James 3, verses 7 to 10, James is talking about how devastating our words can be. And how we use our tongues to, to hurt others, and he refers to how we curse people who are made in the likeness, in the image of God. So what we see is that the image of God remains. Every single person continues to be an image bearer, but also because sin and death has entered the world, the image of God, though it remains, has been impacted. We could say the image of God has been marred in ways in us as a result of the fall. So every single person today continues to be created in the image of God. And every one of us have bodies and these bodies, my body, your body, everybody has been impacted by sin and its consequences in the world in ways very large and very small. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul tells us that all of creation, because of sin, has been subjected to futility. And now all of creation all around us is groaning, longing for a day that would come that would be delivered from this sin-marred situation, and that includes our bodies. Throughout life, our bodies are groaning. Sometimes we're more aware of that than others. But our bodies groan, long for this redemption that is to come. Now, when we speak of sin impacting our bodies, we want to be sure that we're, we're thinking clearly about this. When we say this sin has impacted our bodies, we're not referring to that person's particular sin being the cause of their condition. 
So for instance, a person whose body is being ravaged by cancer. That cancer, we would say, is a result of sin in this world. We don't mean that person's sin. We mean this sin-marred world that we live in. Or that the baby that is born with Down syndrome. That condition is a result of sin. Not that baby's sin, not her parents' sin, not her family's sin. But it's a, a reality of this sin-marred world. So we just want to be careful, one, in our language, how we talk about it but also so that we don't misunderstand it and think that when cancer comes, some devastating disease, that it's a result of my own sin or your own sin. No, it's, it's a reality of life in this fallen, sin-marred world. So each and every one of us have bodies that were fearfully and wonderfully made by God, but also are broken. And this brokenness shows up in many ways. Sickness, from the smallest of things to devastating disease. Parts of our bodies that don't function properly. Sometimes born with parts of a body that are different than the common design. This brokenness shows up not just in physical ways, but sometimes in the functioning of our brains as well. Shows up in simply the aging process that marks us all as we get older. And even as these bodies are broken, though, the body we have is a part of our God's sovereign design. Sam Alberry again says it this way. You have the body God meant for you to have. Even when not everything about it is wonderful. We can often feel about our body the way we feel when we pick up a hand of cards at the start of a game. Why did I have to be dealt with? For all the difficulties you may have with it, it is the body God wanted you to have. It is a gift. Our body can lead to horrific suffering, both physical and psychological. The Bible does not deny this, and in fact is able to uniquely account for it. Accepting our body as having been fearfully and wonderfully made does not mean that we have to pretend everything about it is good. Around this room, there's a, a wide array of challenges that we have faced, that you have faced with your bodies, that you are facing, but that you will face in this life. Well, the reality for me is that I'm getting older. And this is a very small piece of it, but one reality of getting older is that I find that when I have some injury, it just takes a lot longer time for that injury to heal. And even more troubling is sometimes I have an injury and I don't know how I hurt myself. I've developed really painful tennis elbow, but I don't play tennis. And it really is more substantial than I ever thought, but I have no idea how I hurt myself. Although someone in the first service wrote some things for me to do. So I have, to, I have a way forward from a kind person who seems to be an expert on that to, to help me from it. That tennis elbow doesn't change everything, but it's just one of those realities of growing older. Our bodies fading. And for some of you in this room, in your own body today, 
with the bodies of the people you love the most. Know this reality of broken bodies all too well. But it's important for us to know that God works his plan in each of us, not outside of the condition of our bodies, but through those very conditions. God is not absent from us when we face disease and suffering, developmental issues, all sorts of physical conditions, mental health challenges, nor when we finally face the death of our bodies. He is not absent. My friends, he is at work in you even as your body groans. Even as our bodies long for that future day, when our bodies will be completely renewed. So we see broken bodies. Then third, we see sacrificed body. But here it's not plural, but singular. Not broken bodies, but now sacrificed body, singular. Because we're faced with the question, is there any hope in this sin-marred world? Any hope for these broken bodies? And the good news of Christianity is that, yes, there is And the good news is in the coming of Jesus Christ, God the Son, into this world. And central to this coming is that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, taking on a body. That's what we just celebrated at Christmas. The very Son of God comes near into this world and takes on flesh. So the Gospel of John, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, referring to Christ, became flesh... And dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This was a stunning claim in the ancient world of that day, that God had come near and taken on flesh, but that's exactly what Jesus did. He came with a physical body like ours. It's a real moment in time. People saw him. People touched him. He touched people. He then walked the earth with that physical body and showed us what his kingdom is like, displaying compassion and mercy and love unlike any other. And eventually, with that body, he would make his way to the cross. And there on the cross, the sinless Son of God in his body would go to the cross. And there on the cross, he would bear our sin, our shame. Through his death and resurrection, he would pay for a pardon from our sins. He would open a way for us to be reconciled with God, adopted into God's own family. Transformation for today and for eternity, all of that opened up through his death and resurrection as a gift, held out to any and all who'd receive it by faith. And very importantly, the New Testament is clear to repeat this that the picture is Jesus suffers and dies in his body. This was not just a, an extra detail. So, for instance, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus was not simply a spirit that was present. He didn't appear to be human. He was human with a body like ours. And that is central to the Christian worldview. Christ suffered in his body. 
He had a body that died. A body that was placed in a tomb. And very importantly, a body that was raised triumphant from the dead. And he was raised, again, with a physical body, but a transformed body. A resurrected body like his previous body that was still recognizable and yet different. We don't know all that that means, but there's a drastic difference of this resurrection body that Jesus had. But people saw him. People touched him. He touched them. They shared meals together. Christ then, the risen Savior, with a physical transformed body, ascended to heaven. And now he reigns forever, still, though, with a body. He continues reigning today, the king of all, with this transformed, resurrected body. Friend, if you're not a Christian, we're so glad you would give part of your snowy morning to join us. Friends, this is the center of Christianity. A God who creates. A God who sustains. A God who out of great love sent forth the very Son of God who humbled himself to take on a body like ours that ultimately his body would be crushed. He would suffer and die and be raised in order to provide as a gift of grace, salvation for all who turn to him by faith. And friend, if this is new to you, we'd love to tell you more. Hope you just feel safe to explore who Jesus is to the extent that you're interested in doing that. And friends, for those of us who are Christians, this very importantly reminds us that our Savior knows life in a body like ours. He knew hunger. He knew exhaustion. He endured great physical pain. He endured death of his body. And he knows you. He knows your body. And he knows what you are enduring now, what you will endure in the future. And the good news is, who better to comfort us with our broken bodies than our Savior, the King, who is with us, dwells in us by the Spirit, So as you face disease, as we all face death, our risen Savior knows and understands he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will always be with us no matter what we face in this world with our bodies. There's nothing you will ever face where he can't comfort you, where he can't give peace and strength. May that give us hope today with what you may be facing, and enduring hope for the future, for whatever we will face. So we see sacrificed bodies. And then fourth and last, we see restored bodies. Restored bodies, because of what Christ has done, we live now with hope. Though our bodies groan, we're waiting for a day when finally all things will be restored, our bodies renewed. But the eternal future for the Christian is not living in some disembodied state. Now, if a Christian dies today, we we bury their body and their spirit is immediately with Christ. But they don't have a physical body at this time. 
But when Christ returns, these buried bodies will be resurrected. And then all will have these transformed, physical, but transformed resurrection bodies like Christ. So our future, our eternal future, is living with these transformed physical bodies in a physical place. The renewed creation, the new heavens, and the new earth. That is what the future holds for us. So to return to chapter 8 of Romans, chapter 8, verse 23, Paul says, Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Friends, that's what we're groaning for. There is a day coming when these bodies will be renewed, transformed. The Apostle Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of the death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our hope. These mortal bodies made immortal. These perishing bodies made imperishable. Friends, that is our future hope. That is the promise that Christ has made, that he will accomplish that in us. The older gentleman, Ernie, that I told you about earlier, when we first started the church, where there's now Panera in Porter Square, there was an old, not-so-well-kept McDonald's there. And so Ernie, literally every day, would walk several blocks down Mass Ave with his cane to McDonald's. And every day he would sit there and eat a hamburger and drink a soda. And so regularly I would try to go and visit Ernie there and share a simple meal with him. And I would see Ernie's broken body. He always had to have a cane. Because of the remnants of his disease, he basically was nauseous 24-7 for decades. There were only a few things that he could eat, and the hamburger was one of those. And because of how his mind had been impacted, he often would tell the same stories repeatedly to you, never knowing he'd repeated it. But in the midst of those conversations, there were times when Ernie would have greater clarity, and you could see in his face and hear in his words this hope. As he limped along with a cane, he was longing, his body was groaning, and he was living with hope. There was a day coming when he would no longer need a cane. There was a day coming he would no longer be nauseous. There was a day coming he would have this new resurrected body. And so he endured for decades for that future hope. For today, Ernie's free of that broken body. 
And there's a day coming at the return of Christ, he will have this resurrected body. And, and I'm going to see him in heaven and see him finally as he's intended to be. Humble again. Clear-minded in every way. Thoroughly healthy. For that was Ernie's hope. But friends, that's our hope as Christians. That's the hope that sustains us through suffering, even when suffering is decades long. Even when there's no cure to be found. Friends, that is good news for us. Sam Alberry says it this way. Jesus' resurrection is not an isolated event. It is the starting gun for the resurrection of all who follow him. Through Christ, we're confident of a future resurrection. There will be no more physical temptations, no more spiritual or physical weakness, no more shame or affliction, no more sin, and no more death. Friend, that's our promised future. No more sin, no more suffering, no more disease, no more death. And this is a sure future hope. But it's not our present reality. So for now, we wait with these broken bodies. And our bodies groan. And we mourn. And we suffer. And we face daily questions. But friends, God's word gives us the resources guidance we need to live in this chaotic world. C.S. Lewis says it this way, Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter is good, that God himself once took on a human body, that some kind of body is going to be given to us in heaven and it's going to be an essential part of our happiness, our beauty, and our energy. So friends, as Christians, we believe that every person has value and dignity because they were made in the image of God. So therefore, we seek to love neighbor, every person we see and encounter. And because every person has value and dignity, they matter, and their physical bodies matter. That's a part of who they are. So we don't care only about the souls of our neighbors, We care about their bodies as well, for that is who they are. So we mourn with our neighbors as they live with broken, sometimes confused bodies. And we don't want to see our neighbors destroy their own bodies or destroy the bodies of others. And so we, as God's people, want to seek to live wisely in this world, guided by God's word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and and sustained by the community of the local church. And as we do that, we have an opportunity to live distinctively in this chaotic, controversy-filled world to demonstrate potentially hope and peace. We don't have peace, to be clear, because we have perfect bodies. We don't. That's not the promise of Christianity. We're just always going to be reminded of that. It's not the promise of perfect bodies now, but a life to come, perfect bodies. But we're not promised to live free of pain and suffering and disease. But it is the reality of grace from God now. Comfort from the Spirit now. That we're able to endure 
sometimes decades-long suffering and difficulty as we look forward to the future day. So friends, let's give ourselves to the pursuit of godly wisdom when it comes to our bodies. Let's pray that we could live and suffer and even when the time comes, die with peace and with hope. And let's pray that we could helpfully serve one another and work for the good of neighbors and communities and society where there seems to be a, a lack so often of careful sanity. And for instance, this is possible because our faithful God who created us in his image as embodied people, friends, he will surely help us do that. He will strengthen us. He will keep you. He will one day bring us home to those redeemed, restored bodies.